מאזינים לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מרגישים קיץ באוויר. Another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Kalman in Highland Park, New Jersey. Highland Park is here in the Philippines. And joining me today, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Solomon Schechter, Day School of Long Island. Soon, it's almost over. The year's almost over. Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshay Chesed in New York City. It's great to see you. We are talking Torah. It is Parsha Korach. This is such a difficult, complicated, messy And very, very troubling, Parsha Korach, Korach. Who is Korach? Let me recite the first verse of the Parsha. Vayikach Korach, ben Yitzhar, ben Kehat, ben Levi. I'll stop there. He is the son of Yitzhar, the son of Kehat, the son of Levi. What does that make him in relationship to Moshe, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky? That would make him second cousin. First cousin. He's a first cousin. First, wait, first cousin? Because first so cousin. Kehat, a first cousin shares, uh, exactly, you're right. First cousin shares a grandparent. There so go. they share, yeah, there we go. Kehat is the father both of Amram and Yitar. So, right, exactly as you said, Moshe and Karaf are first cousins. So it's really important to see this chart. This is, he is the first cousin of uh, Moshe, Miriam, and Aharon, and and. It's because of that, I'm just going to hide this again. It's because of that, we hit there. Where'd it go? Pause. You froze. Here we go. We're back again. It's because of that relationship, because he is the, the first cousin. And because I, so I've always had a, a, an idea that, you know, the Bible always prefers the, the second, you know, and, and he is the second Uh, he's the firstborn of the second son of the second son, whatever. It's, there's a case to be made that he wants his share. And that's exactly what it said. His claim is, it's, it's joined with the others in this complicated story. The gang up on Moses and Aaron. You have too much. What is the substance of his claim? What is... What, the, what does he want, Korach, Jeremy? Well, I, I, think that, I think that there is a deep question about Korach's motives that don't place him in very, in very good terms. And I think that there's a way of reading Korach that, that, that uh, portrays him as a demagogue and, and, a, and a self-seeker. And I think that is true. It is also true that the pshat, like that's on the drash level, the, the sort of between the lines or one level down from the surface, But the pshat level, he actually says something that I, that I think can, can go down nice and smooth. And the fact that his co-protesters, Datan Vaviram Vaon Ben Pellet, they are all Reubenites. Okay, so what does this mean? Reubenites, back in the ancient, in the ancient world, uh, physical firstborns were taken to be the naturally powerful. And the firstborn Reubenites, Reuven was the, first, was the firstborn, they've been displaced... Well, the firstborns generally throughout Israel, 
have been displaced by the Levites. We read that earlier in the book of Bamidbar, that the that the sort of natural positions of power to physical firstborns were supplanted by the caste of the firstborn of the Levites. But that's represented in this narrative by by the the children of Reuven, who Reuven was displaced by by younger born brothers. And, and, and of course, throughout the Bible, there's always the story of the younger born supplanting the elder. And so it seems like, first of all, the, the Reuvenite protesters represent what would be quote unquote, the natural hierarchy and the, and the fellow Levites who've been shunted aside by the Moses and Aaron line. You know, they're, they're as, as Elliot said, first, first cousins here. Yo, how come you, how come you guys are at the top of the hierarchy? And what's what's with the hierarchy? And maybe the hierarchies need not be quite as rigid. Maybe maybe we can have a more grassroots system here. So the the shot or semantic level of the claim, I think, has to do with with Moshe. Why do you raise yourself above? It's about Moshe being the boss. They don't that that doesn't seem right to them. So what I would add here is that. Moses did not raise himself. God raised Moses. And the chorus claim is that he's a man of the people, so to speak. But actually, he joins himself, as you said so nicely, Jeremy, with a disenfranchised, not for the sake of building a stronger community, but for of ripping the community apart. He doesn't want to join with Moses and Aaron. He wants to replace them. And there is a style of leadership where... You put yourself before the community and over against the community. And I think that is perhaps the significance of Rashi's comment on the very beginning with that strange locution, Vayikach Korach, Korach took, and it doesn't say what he took, even though the genealogy seems to fit in nicely with our understanding of biblical Hebrew. It's not really so much of a problem for some of us. But Rashi says he took himself because he set himself apart. And I think I mentioned this last year, and this is in contradistinction to Avraham, who also set himself apart, but he did so for the glory of God, not for his own glory. Interesting. So what do you make of the, the claim, Kulam Kedoshim? He says, you are, you, Moses and Aaron, you, you, you are lording over Israel. That's, you have too much. The entire people is Kedoshim. Uvetocham Adonai, God is with them. So why why is it that you get it? We are all equal. Is that is is that a manipulative claim? Is that a, is that a correct claim? Well, well, you, you should you should. I, I know you have a, a wonderful observation about this, so you should say it. But yeah. uh, but I think that you know to, to Barry's to Barry's comment about you know God chooses Moshe and Aharon, as, as will happen later in the parsha. God very demonstrably, um, if I can make a little pun, you know, Aaron flourishes. Um, uh, in God's choice, but I think that every society, you know, the people who who maybe are a little disenfranchised or whatever, are going to be a little suspicious about the people in power who say, "Well, I'm sorry, this is just the way it is." You know, God said so. So I think that that the that a little cynical. I mean, Korah comes off here. Then you and I know because we're reading the Torah and we're the students of Moshe Rabbeinu. We know that God chooses Moshe, who is the most faithful in all my house. But to Korach, it's like, well, that's what you say about yourself. I don't know that, that I have to accept that. There, there's a lot of wiliness here. And, and I think what's important when we read this is, is to really appreciate the subtlety and the manipulative nature of his, of his claim. He's saying, 
look, we're all holy, but that's not exactly what the Torah says. This is um, Rabbi, uh, this is Yeshayahu Leibu, is a famous Israeli philosopher, Jewish philosopher. He makes the claim, look, examine this text against the text in Vayikra uh, 19, Kedoshim Tihiyu. What God says to the people of Israel is, you shall be holy. And here Korach is saying, you are holy. There's a difference between you shall be holy and you are holy. Being holy means that holiness is conditional on what you achieve through the practice of mitzvot and the living of a holy life. There is no intrinsic holiness to the people unless the people live a holy life. And so what, what Korach is doing is, is he's doing what all charlatans and what all manipulative people who are seeking power try to do, which is change the tense, change the subtlety, and, and take a piece of truth and make it the whole truth. And you have a reaction to it. So my daughter is reading, or just finished reading Animal Farm, and I'm reminded, you know, in Animal Farm, all the animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. So Korach wants to say everyone is holy because he wants to level everything, but he also wants to make sure that he gets his. The great late journalist from Chicago, Mike Royko, wanted the city of Chicago's um, motto to be changed to Ubi Mayo, where's mine? Is a way of symbolizing the graft and corruption that was part of the Chicago that I grew up near. And that's who Korach is. He's not really a communist in the pure sense. He's more like an apparatchik. He wants his, and he'll do whatever he can to get it. He wants. He wants power. Well, let, let's I like that. But, but before we leave, before we leave this, I just want to say that I think that the the depth of the comment that that Elliot made about you are something versus you must strive to be something that's just such a resonant. Um, challenge for religion. Like, if you think you've arrived, it's 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 like if you think you've arrived, you're very far away. And if you if you take your religious aspirations, um, you know, as as something infinitely distant, because an ideal, that's why an ideal is an ideal. It's yeah. infinitely far. It's it's on the horizon. You you can never really attain it. That's like hard for people to deal with. I think sometimes because people. I, just looking at the world, I think people, you know, maybe want to want to be told, "Hey, you're wonderful. I love you. You're great." And at some level, religion tells you, you have the potential to be great, but you're not there yet, right? And you should feel, at some level, uh, discomfort with where you are and strive to grow. So I, I love that 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 sort of uh, slightly homiletical exposition that in Vayikra 19 it says, "Listen." You can be holy. I, the Lord your God, am holy. We can. You can resemble me. And here's what you have to do. And Korach comes up and says, "We're holy." Ah, enough of that. We're here. All right. So, so let's. I want to see if you can get inside of Moses's head here. The verse says, "Vayishma Moshe, vayipol al panav." Moses hears and he falls on his face. So, how do you interpret he falls on his face? Is that exasperation? Is that prayer? Is that what what do you think is going through his mind here? What what what? How is he reacting here? Very well, the the, uh, the contemporary Israeli expression of alapanim is like he's face down. Uh, he's not he's not doing too well. I, I think of it as first of all, I think it is 
Pshat, I think, is mostly a prayer gesture. Um, humility. Moshe has been, we, we learned in Baha'u'llah that he was the most humble person on earth. And All right. We're back. We're back. We're sorry for that technical difficulty. We were talking about Vayipola Panav, and I was saying it's exasperation. Moshe is exasperated. Jeremy, you were saying that, that Moshe is, is it's prayer or it's not. What, what were you trying to say here? He falls on his face. Yeah, I just think that in general, falling on the face often connotes some sort of worshipful action. Maybe slow down the clock a little bit. It's a crisis. Um, instead of instead of ramping up the anxiety, maybe close it down a little bit. But but that's admittedly not. I'm not. I'm not trying to get inside his head the way you are. So why don't you tell us? What I, you think I just think I think we were seeing a lot of that in in the previous parsha. There was just frustration after frustration. frustration. We didn't really remark on the idea that the people are really in a vulnerable state, that the people are susceptible to the demagogic impulse, that or they're, they're, they're depressed, they've been crushed by the recognition that they're going to wander for another 38 years. They're at the lowest point. And so Moshe is also at a low point. He's at a low point in terms of his own confidence, except for the fact that I'm just going to go into the next verse here. So he says, he comes up with the idea by the barrel Korach, El Kolat, I told more. He says to Korach and the whole cohort, Boker, we're going to know in the morning who, you know, who's who for God. And uh, this is what you do. And I, I love the idea that he, he sets up this face off with the, um, with the Korachites, Zot Asu, do this, Kechulachem Machtot, Korach, Vicholadato, take your fire pans, put your fire or coal on it, and put some incense on it, do it tomorrow. So the question is, why is he asking, why is he doing this ordeal in this way? Why is it the ordeal of incense? And I'll give you the answer quickly, which is the last time someone tried to bring incense uh, and they weren't authorized, what happened? <laughs> they were incinerated. So, in, in a way, he's setting this up. He's setting this up for for failure. And I I asked my class this question: Why why doesn't Korach try to murder Moses? And why doesn't Moses have Korach kind of sentenced? Why doesn't he just pen him out? You know, doesn't he? Why doesn't he take the the apparatus of power and just kind of hole him up in a cell and just kind of you know do what 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 they do in other regimes when there are people who try to usurp your power. What do you well, think? That's, that's most definitely what, what, I mean, in a sense, the, the uh, obliteration of Karach and the, and the rebels with the being swallowed up by the earth, you know, ends up that way. But I, I think that between the lines, the Torah prefers something else, which is to say that, uh, you know, I think one of the most interesting elements in this parasha is that they're failed. They, they 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 take the fire pans. They try to bring the incense, and it doesn't work. And they they are zapped or they are swallowed up. But the fire pans themselves become the tzipui, become the plating of the altar, which, on one level, is understandable from uh, from the kind of biblical um, uh, 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 sanctification. Metaphysics, which is to say that if something touches the altar, it becomes part of the altar. You can't just throw it away. It touched the altar. It's holy. But I like to to see in this the affirmation that 
even the bad stuff can fundamentally get reabsorbed into something holy and worthy. Um, you know, like, what is it that you think, I mean, to our listeners or to us or to anybody, what is it that you think should happen to the world, to evil in the world? Should evil be crushed and disintegrated or should it be reincorporated, redirected into the good? And, and with that, that bit about the fire pans, they, they bring the fire pans, they touch it to the altar. Yes, they get zapped. Yes, they get punished. And they do not win. And Aaron wins. But it's as if the Torah says, all right, what can I do with you that's good? You know, what can I what can I do that incorporates you into some sacred purpose? It's the transformation, the transformation of that. And, and also a reminder, a total reminder. Barry, you're with us. You're 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 I am here. I'm in and out. I'm sorry I missed a good part of the conversation. Um, but I am struck by Jeremy's comment about the transformation of evil. I'm not so sure how this would always work, but I think that the key is the transformation itself. Is that I, you know, there's a tendency here, I think, in the Parsha and elsewhere to try to outrun our past on one hand, or alternatively to go deeper into our past, right? This metaphor of trying to go back to Egypt, going towards Egypt, as if Egypt is the be all and end all, um, is is a, a fascinating I, I, idea here. And I think that there has to be some kind of communal memory of what happens. And I'm trying to remember how this is portrayed in Devarim, but you know, I, I think what's important for me at least is to figure out how these events that unfold in Bamidbar really become part of the memory of the people elsewhere in the Torah or yeah, in the Tanakh. Not sure how it works. It was just an idea that came to me in the midst of my electronic silence. Okay, so so we we do have other other examples of that where where something that happens uh, be, uh, out of negative circumstances turns around and becomes a positive, or turns around and becomes a reminder. I, I'm thinking even the whole notion of a minyan as constituted, you know, in by by the tradition. Of course, you know, we 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 are. You know, in in transition on on how a minion is constituted in modern times, but the minyan really is uh, based on the word eda, and eda is a reference to the the ten the ten spies. And so, is there something in every composition of a minyan that is a a, a corrective? on the sin of the spies. I always get the sin, you know, I don't, I don't think about this all the time when I'm in a minyan, but I think when, when especially when we're around these parshiot, I'm thinking like, yeah, my, my presence in a minyan is constituted as a corrective to that event. And so Judaism is etern in an eternal correction to uh, these moments. In fact, even Yom Kippur functions on some level as a corrective because Yom Kippur is the golden calf. It's, it's the same date as uh, Moses coming down the second time. And underneath the, the drama of Yom Kippur is the idea that we are being uh, forgiven for, for this, Yom, uh, for, for the, the golden calf. In fact, the whole notion of forgiveness functions in last week's and functions here again. We have another pasuk, by, uh, he says, uh, God, you know, God, God certainly not, not, Standing up for this, let me just let me finish him off. Moses and Aaron 
fall on their faces. Here, I would say it's prayer. El Elohea God, translate, God of all the winds, all the spirit. And this is, you know, the great moment. Is one man going to sin and everybody else going to be ruined for this? Is that Abrahamic here? How will you react to that, Jeremy, that moment? What I would add, I hope I'm not interrupting. Yes. The minyan also is a kind of a warning that we should not think that the community itself is the goal, but the kind of community that we are. And just getting 10 people together, we could end up like the 10 spies, the bad community. And we need to remember that. And I think that this plays in with the idea I was talking about earlier of institutional memory is that throughout our lives, we need to be reminded that there are other paths that we might have taken and sometimes we did take and they did not work out and we can't forget them. Okay. Yeah. You know, the first of all, it's a phrase that appears also when when Joshua becomes replaced as Moshe, becomes replaced as Moshe as the leader of the people. And that, that phrase, Elohei Ruchot Chobasar, the God of the spirits of all flesh, is taken to mean that the leader, Joshua in that case, and Moses before him, um, understands the diversity of people. And, and they're coming from different places. And they have different experiences. And if that is how we take it, then the particular prayer becomes extremely resonant for Moshe. Moshe says, God, you know, you know who everybody is. You know that everybody's got their own personal style and struggles. And do not wipe everybody out. Karega, karaga. Don't wipe everybody at an instant. Patience, please. Um, try to see where everyone's coming from. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of rich. Um, I think that the most like to me, one of the really interesting things about this, you know, to our, to our listeners, you might know that uh, this passage is one of the passages that, that like academic Bible scholars love because you can kind of peel away the Korach and Datan Vaviram and the Levites, maybe not be all saying the exact same thing. Uh, maybe it's a compound text here. When Datan and Aviram challenge Moshe, they say something which is like, they think you are absolutely guaranteed to be a problem, especially in the book of Bamidbar, is to say Egypt was good, where we're going stinks. Let us go back to Egypt. We should go back to Egypt. And Datan and Aviram go, uh, uh, You took us from the land flowing with milk and honey. What now? What are you saying? Yeah. Back there, Egypt was the land flowing with milk and honey? That's not the point. The point is to head towards Eretz Yisrael, which is going to be that. Um, but not only they say, You didn't bring us to the land of milk and honey. Um, this to me is like a really, you know, powerful uh, betrayal of the mission that Moshe has tried to lead people on. At any given point, you can take the snapshot and say, well, this isn't great. The whole, the, you know, the, we're in the desert now. Obviously, you failed. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's a long journey. You have to, you have to have some patience um, and head there. But I think that's like a really, really vivid, you know, moment of, of betrayal when the people say the true land of milk and honey is Egypt and, and not this desert, this terrible so, desert and not this land that we're trying to go to, which none of us have ever seen. I would offer a homiletical interpretation of Elohei Arucho. What struck me when I was looking at it this afternoon 
is that one way to understand it is that God is the God of all directions. And one of the things to keep in mind is no matter which direction you're going or you think you're going, whether it's backwards to Egypt or to Canaan, the land of Israel, the promised land, God is our God. And what seems to be missing in the Korach rebellion is the sense of God's presence, that it is a very human endeavor, this rebellion. And what needs to be part of our center as a religious community is a commitment to God and to go in the direction that God leads us. So in, our, in the very next scene, the people are, are uh, assembled. It's not clear exactly what is happening to whom here, but the uh, Moses predicts that the earth will open its mouth and swallow them, chayim sheola, they will go down alive, they will be swallowed alive, and lo and behold, vatiftach ha'aretz et piha, the earth opens its mouth, vativlaotam vetpatehem, it swallows them and their households, vetkola adam asher lekorach, and all the people that belong to korach vetkola rechush. So this is... Uh, tumultuous moment where the earth splits there it's really hard to imagine this i mean we, we you know we don't live in a this kind of seismic uh, geographical area although i suppose people who live where uh, earthquakes happen a lot can relate to this um but but more than just the geology of this there is a theology of this and and the, the the first question is how does this relate to their act? What is how does the punishment relate to the the crime? And second, can we make something out of the fact that they go down alive? So uh, let's take the the easy question: the uh, the 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 relationship between get going down to their to their crime, Jeremy. Well, uh, the Torah's favorite style is midah connected midah. The Torah's favorite narrative technique is measure for measure. Jacob Jacob deceives his blind father about which brother he is in costume, and, and then soon enough, he is deceived about which white woman he's marrying who is covered in costume. This is this is the, the Torah's typical, typical maneuver. The very thing that you tried to do to another is what you get. So Karach, at least in part, is portrayed as somebody who is trying to rise up. He says, Levites, Moses, you got, you have too much power. Aaron, you have too much power. Why are you raising yourself up? Implicitly, I'd like to raise myself up. I would like to be, I'd like to be up there. Why, you know, if somebody's going to be on top, it's going to be me. And, but the, the narrative has a, you know, a sly measure for measure arc to it. He sought to go up, 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 down, 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 down. Interesting. I, I have just one little one little footnote here, which is that there is another place in the Torah where we have Sheol, at least one place. You know, when when Joseph is um, when Joseph's cloak is uh, the coat of many colors is brought back to Jacob, he says, "Ered el bni avel Sheola." I will go down. To my Ered uh, Elbeni, I will go down to my son as a mourner uh, to Sheol, Sheol being hell. And there is an understanding here that that we have some kind of living dimension in in Sheol, in hell. And and here the parallel is uh, they're alive in Sheol and they they live eternity in this underworld. And Jacob is. Uh, 
in doomed to the perpetual uh, a perpetual future of mourning in in the nether world, uh, which you know in both situations obviously it's awful. Um, and then of course so so the people see this. They they're really scared here. What I mean. If we were to imagine ourselves uh, as the people here, uh, what would be going through your mind, or what would what what would be uh, the reaction, and and how how would we go on from this moment? And I don't know if you have any thoughts about this, Barry. So I wanted to add something before that. Another example of midah connected midah is that the rebels wanted to make their mark, and instead they disappear without a trace, mm-hmm. and. You know, I think the idea of being swallowed up by the earth is terrifying because we leave no mark and that they go down alive increases the the terror or the horror of the situation. The other thing, listening to you talk about Jacob, reminded me that the blessing Jacob gives to Shimon and Levi, they were brothers of violence. And what we see in this Parsha is the Levitical violence, a family of Levites that is pitted against each other and not with such a happy denouement. And it seems that it's part of the Torah's way of bringing the, the patriarchal stories into the, the people, the life of B'nai Yisrael as, as well. So let, let's talk about the denouement of the story then. There's, there's a, a very interesting scene that happens uh, immediately afterward where the leadership of Aaron has to be demonstrated to the people. And this happens through uh, a miraculous event. What happens? All the people, all the different tribes are to send up their their tribal staff. Every tribal chieftain has a staff. And then take also the staff of Levi. Uh, and what is happening there? And the one who I choose, their staff, their staff will blossom. So, Jeremy, just uh, if you had a, a lovely thought about this. Just well, I just find it extremely, extremely poetic, you know that uh, that the the affirmation of Aaron's leadership comes in the form of flowers. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, it's really quite beautiful, um, and it signifies maybe you know the staff not only that you might clonk somebody over the head with it. But that is the source of beauty and fruitfulness, and it's going to become, you know, it's it's going to be like a staff is a hunk of wood. It's dead by definition, but this one isn't dead. It's still it still um, is flourishing. It's a lovely motif. It's a it's a folk motif. I, you know, I know there it's it's in a Bashava Singa story. There, uh, Naftali the Seuss and his Naftali the something and his horse Seuss. And when Naftali the, uh, uh, dies, he takes his staff, or when his, when, his, uh, when his horse dies, he puts his staff over the grave of the horse and the staff blossoms. It's really a, a, a lovely motif. But here no, at this- I, just, I just want to say about this that, um, you know, the people, the people still kind of love Korach. Um, and they say to Moshe, you have killed God's people um, after after this thing. They, they're not they're not happy with um, with Moshe for having won this particular battle. Um, 
you have killed God's people, and they're still rising up against him. And then Aaron does this little trip again with other fire pants to, to stave off the plague. And then we get the thing with the then we get the thing with the with the flowers, which is again life over death. Um, a dead a dead hunk of wood is suddenly uh, giving forth almonds or almond blossoms, perhaps. Um, and then the staff is supposed to go as this memorial, but the people are still not okay. We are all dying right here, dying before your very eyes. Everybody who is in a religious, uh, everybody who is in a religious context is gonna die. Are we gonna stop? Can we stop dying yet? Um, and and I think that's a kind of a like Bamidbar is of course a hard book because they haven't they're not they're not uh, arriving they're not attaining their destiny the destiny seems way off and it's just a grueling grueling grind. It's a it's a hard book and this is I think one of the hardest stories I I, I really it's a difficult story look even the fact that we had technical difficulties during our parsha talk is saying that that it's. It's hard to really wrap around, wrap our minds around that, that. We want everybody to get along. We want the people to be together. We want the there to be leadership. We want, you know, we want we don't want fractiousness. And and yeah. you know, we live with this. We live. It's, it's the story of our time that that parts of of the body politic can just seem to talk to each other, let alone get along with each other. I mean, it, and so I find it. It's a it's a very depressing story. This this Korah story. It's hard to get uplifted. I need some uplift. Give me give me some uplift. Give me give me some. <laughs> so I, I think we come back to the the branch, and the branch represents the living tradition. That without God's life force infused in us, we're uh, like a desiccated piece of wood, nice. and we need God to make us truly alive. Nice, nice, nice point. It's a good you point. You can't to... beat that. You can't beat that. The um, the haftarah is yiftach, right? Yes. No, is that right? I think so. Yeah. No, no, no. The haftarah is Shmuel. Yeah. Yiftach is is chukat. God, uh, often um, Shmuel. It's the, it's Shmuel saying that. Uh, that he's been rejected, you know. Um, uh, his, his Moshe's been rejected. Interesting. Well, on, on, the, on the notion of blossoming, we are in this story and in this book, and it's getting very difficult, but we want to lift us up with the idea that we can obviously find a new day and, and we, we, we constitute the people with its leadership going forward as we reconstitute ourselves. And we wish everyone a beautiful Shabbat. It's been great to have this time with you. And we thank you for watching, even though it was a little choppy here this, uh, this week. We look forward to being with you again. And see you all on another edition of Parsha Talk. Bye-bye.
מחנה רמה בברקשרס. כל רמה 102.3 מרגישים קיץ באוויר. רדיו כל רמה 102.3 FM 